0: This week on Making Contact.
1: I'm wearing this ball and chain on my ankle, although I've done my time. I did what I was supposed to do, now I want to become a productive citizen. Okay, they put that ball and chain on you and you carry it from now until eternity.
0: It's not even the crime that counts sometimes, or the time in prison. It's that little box on an application that asks you to reveal if you have a criminal history. Checking that box can mean the difference between success and failure. The charge ended up being theft from employer,
2: and I had no idea that that would ruin me as far as getting a job for the rest of my life.
0: On this edition, the nationwide movement to ban the box and make criminal histories less of a stigma. I'm Andrew Stelzer, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. In the United States, an estimated 65 million people have had a brush with the law that resulted in a criminal record. And every year, about 650,000 of them are released from prisons and jails, re-emerging into society with one goal, to get back on their feet. But opportunities for those with criminal records are limited. Our society stigmatizes them for their past, even if they've done the time and are no longer on probation or parole. The end result is a perpetual cycle of poverty for any community with a high number of former criminals. With the economic effects of that continuous un- and underemployment becoming more clear, some states are rethinking their approach to criminal records. Massachusetts is one. With assistance from Deborah Beagle, Francesca Riannon brings us this report.
2: You know, I moved in here with very little money and um, basically everything pretty much has been donated.
3: Donald Washington is showing me around his new apartment, his first real home in a long, long time.
2: These paintings came from the guy upstairs. He's in recovery. He had a few other things. He said, well, Donald, do you need this? And I said, well, yeah, I'll hang them proudly.
3: (laughs) Washington wasn't so lucky when he looked for a job. Every time he checked the box that asked, have you ever been convicted of a felony, employers lost interest. So he tried a new tack.
2: Prior to lying on the box, every time I would check that box, you know, have you been convicted, things like that, I would never get a call back, an interview or anything. And when I stopped doing that, I noticed that I would get callbacks, I would get interviews. But unfortunately, you know, it was short lived because when they found out that I had a quarry. I was let go.
3: Corey is short for Criminal Offender Records Information, which means Washington is in the Massachusetts Criminal Data Bank. That's because he was convicted of stealing petty cash from his job to buy drugs. He did his time seven years and got out. In Massachusetts, almost anyone can get a clearance to look up quarries from employers, landlords, and government agencies to members of the general public. Nearly a million and a half requests for Corys filter through the data bank every year. For Donald Washington and tens of thousands like him, a Cory is a scarlet letter of our time, a mark of guilt and shame that scares the boss or the landlord.
2: I don't want to be stuck with that stigmatism of just being an ex-felon. My life is more than that, and I have a lot to give and a lot to offer my community, but it feels like I'm being locked
3: out. In Massachusetts, 20,000 men and women, disproportionately people of color, walk out of jails and prisons every year. They hope to start a new life, but Cory's lock them out. As soon as they check that box on an application, the door to opportunity slams shut. No job, no apartment, no food stamps, no right to vote, no student loans for education or job training. Checking the box, says Juan Filomeno, is damned if you do and damned if you don't.
2: I got to the last page where it asks you, "Have you been convicted of a felony? Have you ever been arrested?" And uh, I wanted to be honest, so I checked the boxes. Yes, I have, and I explained to the interviewer at the end <clears throat> why was the conviction about and and uh, how it came about. And uh, at that point, the interviewer told me after he had offered me the job for the next day to start that. They will have to review it because of the quarry.
3: It's not just jobs; it's about all kinds of opportunities. Shirley Hollis faced similar obstacles when she finished her sentence. She says the negative repercussions go on and on. I talked to her on a bus filled with people who were going to Boston to talk to their legislators about quarry reform. <laughs>
1: Well, I would like to get a decent job, decent housing, um, you know, be able to, you know, be looked up in the community as a decent person and not, you know, a drug addict or um, a criminal, you know, and that's what happens when you have a quarry, you know, they, they, they look down on us, you know what I'm saying, instead of giving us a chance,
3: and we need chances. Lois Ahrens is an advocate for prisoners at the Real Cost of Prisons Project. She wants people who have served time in prison to get back on their feet. Yet time and again, she's seen advancement blocked and hope stalled. When it gets to be this huge problem is, is that there are tens and tens of thousands of
4: people that have quarries that are being prohibited from making a livelihood. They just know they have a quarry and it's bad. They haven't been informed about what that means. They haven't been informed if anything on their quarry is even accurate or inaccurate. They haven't been
3: informed about how to read the code that their quarry is coded in. Aron's group was one of many that spent years advocating for a change in policy. And in 2011, they finally saw some progress. A new reform law in Massachusetts will make it a bit easier for someone with a record to decode their criminal offender record information, Cory, to access it online and spot errors.
5: Why Cory reform?
3: Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick recognized the pitfalls created by Corys when he addressed the state legislature urging passage of Cory reform.
5: Because ex-offenders who need work too often find our Cory system turns a minor, even a minor offense, into a life sentence by permanently keeping them out of a job. A good job is the best tool to prevent repeat offending.
3: Cori reform has three significant parts. First, applications for jobs and even apartments had to eliminate the box on applications asking about felonies. This provision, also known as banning the box, has already taken effect in Massachusetts, the second state to do so after Hawaii. Aaron Tanaka is executive director of Boston Workers Alliance, which lobbied hard for Cory reform.
6: Removing that criminal record question uh, was so important. It's both a symbolic and pragmatic uh, type of reform. The symbolic idea is that people shouldn't be weeded out or just because you have a, a case uh, doesn't mean that you would not be able to perform the duties of a job. In a very practical level, eliminating the upfront screening mechanism uh, gives people a chance to again get their foot in the door and make a case to the employer about why they would be a valuable employee.
3: Second, when cases are dismissed or there's no conviction, people won't get queries in the future. But private criminal databases pose a problem, especially when they have the wrong information. Although the new Massachusetts law doesn't prevent errors from getting into private databases, Tanaka says it does take a novel approach to the problem.
6: What we found is that particularly with these private background check employers that their data is not always as accurate as the state's official system. And sometimes they release information that, for example, cases that were found not guilty or cases that were dismissed are still getting put out to employers. And so one of the goals of the Cori reform legislation was also to actually make the state uh, system uh, upgraded and more modern so that it can be uh, as convenient for employers to use as the private background check systems. And also we were able to build in some liability protections for employers that are using the state system as opposed to the private background check system.
3: A third major reform in criminal record keeping in Massachusetts is that Cori's will eventually get sealed after five years of clean time for misdemeanors and 10 years for felonies. Other states are watching Massachusetts as a possible model for reforming their own criminal records laws. But critics like private investigator Michael Corwin of New Mexico argue that in some cases, people have a perpetual right to know about a person's background when they hire employees or rent out apartments.
6: It depends on the nature of the criminal records as to how long they should be kept. I believe felonies should be forever, and uh, misdemeanors that should be kept forever are domestic violence and DWI cases.
3: Aaron Tanaka agrees that records of domestic violence cases should be kept open, but not with a DWI if a person has gone five years without one. As for whether felonies should remain unsealed... Tanaka says it depends on the nature of the offense.
6: Some of the most severe types of offenses, crimes that led into led to the death of a person, or crimes that were involved um, sexual violence, are not eligible to be sealed. I think there is a recognition that certain types of offenses, uh, no matter how old, are worth knowing. But you know, we felt that the vast majority of people who are incarcerated and are suffering from quarry discrimination are uh, convicted of nonviolent. Uh, usually, economic related offenses.
3: Even Governor Patrick assured lawmakers that shortening the length of time criminal background records are kept open poses no threat to public safety.
5: Studies show that the risk of reoffending after this much time has elapsed crime free is the same as for you and me, meaning people with no prior criminal record.
3: As cash strapped states comb through their budgets for cuts, Many are rethinking their incarceration policies. Massachusetts spends $48,000 a year to house each prisoner, about as much as the state would spend to send a student to Harvard. Julie Roberts is on the board of directors at Northeastern University School of Law in Boston, and she worked for the Drug Policy Alliance. She's lobbied for drug law reform in both New Mexico and Massachusetts. Robert says early release for nonviolent drug offenders is a way to cut prison operation costs without jeopardizing public safety.
7: If we're gonna talk about public safety, if we're gonna talk about improving our communities, we have to talk about reentry. We have to talk about access to jobs and housing and public assistance. Because these folks, whether you like it or not, are coming back. And they're going to be coming back to your streets and your neighborhoods and your communities. So do you want someone coming out of jail and prison who maybe received services, who received substance abuse treatment, and then upon their release have the skills necessary to get a job, to get housing?
3: Like Roberts, prisoner advocate Lois Ahrens urges politicians to expand rehabilitation and counseling services to people in Massachusetts' jails and prisons. She says these programs are essential to keep newly released prisoners from going back to prison. And if they call it recidivism, what does that mean? It means these horrible
4: criminals, you let them out, and the first thing that happens is they become recidivists. Well, no, the first thing that happens is these horrible criminals... Are drug addicts. And if they're not getting good treatment, or if they're not getting, or just the process of becoming a recovering drug addict is that you might use drugs again.
2: I used cocaine for many years. It was like I battled because, thank God for my wife at the time, because I didn't know I had a problem. Because we had. A house and we had cars and I never realized it was a problem I just thought it was something that I did and when I got divorced in 90 is when my addiction exploded because then there was no safety net there was no nagging wife so to speak
3: once an addiction takes off the addict makes bad choices that's what happened to Donald Washington
2: uh, It went down it went down like this I worked evenings and I took some money from petty cash I went to go use I was stopped by the police I had been under surveillance for three or four months and I went to jail uh, my bail at the time was hundred and fifty thousand dollars the charge ended up being theft from employer and I had no idea that that would ruin me as far as getting a job for the rest of my life.
7: You know, I think one of the most harmful aspects of the drug war is the fact that it's it's a war on people and it's a war on families.
3: By the turn of the century, one in five people in prison were locked up for drugs, a 12-fold increase in 20 years. Roberts believes it's time for society to shift its views of drug addiction if progress is to be made.
7: Drug addiction is a public health problem. It has nothing to do with the criminal justice system. And we we need, collectively, the we, us in our communities, our legislators, our politicians, our state officials, have to begin to realize that and shift our focus from building jails, from building prisons, from having these barriers to employment and housing and education for people with convictions to true rehabilitation, true treatment programs, services, classes, programs that are gonna help folks rebuild their lives, get back on their feet, and be functioning and contributing members to society and their families.
3: California, Connecticut, Minnesota, and New Mexico have banned the box from state job applications more than 25 major cities across the nation have done the same. Other states have laws pending, and the news for public safety is promising. There's some indication recidivism rates are going down, where the box asking about a criminal record is banned. Still, one big piece of reforming the criminal record system in Massachusetts and elsewhere is yet to be done. That's bringing the totally unregulated private market and background checks under control. Until that happens, millions of job seekers who have had a brush with the law will find themselves locked out. For Making Contact with Deborah Beagle, I'm Francesca Riannon. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. Because of listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, and South Africa. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making contact.
8: Well, the next time someone applies to work with the state of New Mexico, there will be something missing from the application. Tonight,
4: some in Memphis say we need to ban the box. Now, again, it was a unanimous vote by the city council to ban the box. Simply. The box is located on job applications that you check, asking whether you've been convicted of a crime in the last few years. Detroit now joining many other big and small cities that have removed the question. Now,
8: now the, the measure passed the Senate to 35 to 4. It passed the House 54 to 14. So. Support was pretty overwhelming. Minnesota
4: passed a similar
6: ban the box measure last year.
4: Robbie, this is significant, but it's important to point out that for now, at least, this only applies to jobs where the employer is the city of Detroit. Now, again,
0: it the was a- ban the box movement has made significant progress over the past fifteen years. More than three dozen states, cities, and counties have removed the criminal history question for applications for government jobs but only about 15% of Americans work for the government. The vast majority work in the private sector. And as of March 2012, Massachusetts and Hawaii are the only two states that have banned the box on employment applications for private employers. Several other states and local governments are considering doing the same, including San Francisco. But as Making Contact's George Lavender reports, the obstacles to banning the box for private business can be difficult to overcome.
5: After getting out of prison in 2007, Marilyn Austin Smith applied for a job at a number of the San Francisco Bay Area's largest employers.
1: My biggest problem was people not calling me back to say, you don't have the job, we're not hiring at this time, or um, you don't qualify, something. They didn't call back and say anything that goes that ball and chain. I'm wearing this ball and chain on my ankle, although I've done my time. I did what I was supposed to do. Now I want to become a productive citizen. Okay, they put that ball and chain on you and you carry it from now until eternity due to the fact that you can't get a job. Even though you qualify for it, you might be educated for it. You might be overqualified for it. They still will not hire you.
5: While the state of California banned the box for its own employees in 2010, private employers are still free to do as they choose. Austin Smith applied for jobs at Macy's, Safeway, Footlocker, Lucky's, and Dollar Tree, all of which had a question about criminal records on the form.
1: See, if the state of California will hire us, how come these individual employers or these other major companies is making our money because we shop at these stores, we eat at these restaurants, we go to these gas stations, we go to these doctors but they will not hire you with the a conv- felony conviction.
5: None of the companies Austin Smith tried to work for would comment on their use of the box for this program. But Michelle Natividad Rodriguez of the National Employment Law Project says there are some common reasons employers give for asking applicants about their criminal records.
9: So, you know, there was a survey that came out from uh, the Society of Human Resources Management that identified, they did a survey of their membership of the the different reasons that uh, companies were interested in doing the background checks. And certainly the top three reasons were much as you would expect. They want to make sure that they have um, employees that, you know, aren't going to be engaged in criminal activities, you know, they're... Um, concerned about liability, they're concerned about um, potential theft, you know, that the criminal background check is supposed to then give them some kind of indication. Unfortunately for them, I mean, and unfortunately for all of our workers, I mean, there really isn't a lot of evidence backing that up. I mean, we haven't seen the evidence or the research um, out there that really documents that somebody's criminal record is any more predictive of that person's negative behavior on the job than other things. Um, You know, like having a good interview, having good references, you know, those are the kinds of elements that we, you know, certainly advise um, employers to look at.
5: A report by the Society for Human Resource Management found that roughly 80 percent of U.S. employers carry out criminal record checks on job applicants. While this practice is legal, Rodriguez said that the problem is that checks are being used as blanket bans, stopping people getting work.
9: It's all across the board, and it's especially it's especially affecting our communities of color, so African American and Latino communities, because the criminal justice system is what it is and they are targeted more, um, so communities of color end up really getting hard hit by these practices.
5: In San Francisco, large hotel companies including Hilton and Marriott all have the box on their application forms. Mike Casey is president of Unite Here Local 2, which represents hotel workers in San Francisco.
8: I think a lot of employers will take a look at, you know, the pile they got because there's a high, you know, number of folks who are uh, looking for work. Probably right away the first thing the employer does, well, let's separate these into two piles those with a felony uh, conviction and those without. So, yeah, I, I think it's discriminatory and disfavors you know, poor people and working people.
5: A report by the Centre for Economic Policy Research found that people with criminal records have much higher unemployment rates than the rest of the population. Casey says his union supports removing barriers to employment for anyone with a record. It's an issue he says the labour movement should be taking up. In the meantime, Casey says the union is doing their part.
8: Many unions, including our own, have, you know, uh, you know, have hiring halls. And so many of our members, you know, uh, get, you know, work out of the hiring hall. And we don't discriminate against people because they might have, you know, some kind of criminal record. Um, So of course, um, if in our practices, you know, we're not discriminating against people, we don't believe that employers should be discriminating against people. You know, it's just another form of you know, discrimination against, you know, the most disadvantaged in our society.
5: There are a small number of employers in the Bay Area who make an effort to hire people who have been excluded from the workforce for many reasons, including criminal convictions. Give Something Back is an office supply company that employs about 100 people.
10: One of the clear benefits that a company like ours can offer to a community our employment opportunities.
5: Mike Hannigan is Give Something Back's company director.
10: And we recognize that uh, there are many populations who are excluded or find it difficult to integrate into the workforce because of barriers. Now, those barriers could be income barriers, socioeconomic barriers or incarceration. So we make efforts to to bring in people into our employment opportunities.
5: Despite these efforts to be more inclusive, Give Something Back does, in fact, still require applicants to disclose their criminal convictions.
10: But also on the application, there's a, in fairly, I, I'm pretty sure the last time I looked, in fairly bold print saying, the answer, if the answer yes to this doesn't disqualify you from a job. In it, that in itself doesn't disqualify you from a job.
5: But even with disclaimers such as this, requiring disclosure at this initial stage is a very real deterrent for many people. It also makes it virtually impossible to prove that widespread discrimination is taking place because employers can claim that a candidate was refused for some other reason.
10: So you're saying when they when they fill out the original application, they shouldn't have to disclose that.
5: That's the argument, yes. I'm
10: mean, going to have to listen to the argument more. But, you know, that seems to me that it would make it clear whether employers were seizing on a particular issue in order to you know, eliminate someone from contention. It would be easier to identify that particular thing if that particular thing didn't come up until they... I mean, I I think that's a reasonable... uh, I think that's a reasonable issue to consider. I mean, I would like people who had the best interests of the community as a whole to consider that in some formal way and get that out into the human resource world. And if it was the right thing to do, we wouldn't have a problem with that.
5: The National Employment Law Project estimates that about 25% of adults in the U.S. have criminal records.
10: If that's what the demographic is, then the question is why isn't one of four people here? come from that demographic? That's a fair question. So if we could all be forced to do it without a competitive disadvantage coming to the people who have to jump in front, I mean, we're willing to do certain things, even though it gives us a competitive disadvantage
5: because it's the right thing to do. Marilyn Austin-Smith is now a member of All of Us or None, an organization which campaigns on issues affecting formerly incarcerated people and has been active in the fight to get rid of the box in San Francisco and elsewhere. She now works as an in-home caregiver but her daughter, who has been out of prison for over a year, is still unemployed.
1: There's still that ball and chain. I don't care how you put it. We're going to be carrying that ball and chain forever, Seem like. When you really want to just make a living, like most of these families, they're stopping you from feeding your children. They're stopping you from being able to just make an honest day's living and they wonder why there's so much crime in the
5: world. If San Francisco's Board of Supervisors does pass legislation to ban the box for private employers, they will join a growing number of towns and cities in Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. Campaigners hope that San Francisco can serve as an example to other major cities in California and across the U.S. For Making Contact, I'm George Lavender in San Francisco.
0: That's it for this edition of Making Contact. Special thanks to the Omnia Foundation for partially funding this program. For a CD copy of this show, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736 or check out our website at radioproject.org to get a podcast, download past shows, or make a difference by supporting our work like Making Contact on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Lisa Rudman is our executive director, Kyun Jin Lee and George Lavender, producers, Irene Flores, web editor, Steph St. Clair, development associate, Lisa Bartfi and Megan Lasala, production interns, and Barbara Barnett, Dan Turner, Ron Rucker, Alton Bird, Catherine Lee, and Daisha Moore, volunteers. I'm Andrew Stelzer. Thanks for listening to Making
3: Contact.